What does it actually mean to be a bad bitch? I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and if you're asking me, it means being fully alive, unstoppable, kicking ass at the things that light you up, and being permanently unavailable for the things that make you feel like shit. Whether you're a boss bitch business owner or just someone who goes hard on your personal and professional growth, buckle the fuck up and get ready to be inspired, challenged, and take action. Let's do this, boo. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Bad Bitch Therapist Podcast. So I'm going to jump right into my reading, watching, loving, and get into our guest bio for this episode. I recently have paused on reading Flawless, which I mentioned, I think, in the last episode, and we'll get back to that, but I finally started reading. I'm like so embarrassed that I haven't started reading this yet, but my bonus dad, my stepdad, Phil Smith, actually had a book released last fall, and it's called Mother of the Company. It's letters mostly from his dad to his mother during World War II, and Phil is a historian, and so he's put in a bunch of amazing footnotes and just some more context around the letters and then the stories that his father wrote in later years, kind of recollecting the events of the war. And I, I've really enjoyed a lot of World War II fiction, but this and, and getting this glimpse, not just because it's someone that I know, I never met his father because he passed away in 1985, but just this glimpse into where my stepdad came from. But even without that personal connection, it's just a really, really powerful book, getting to see the perspective of someone who's actually was there and what they what he was communicating to his wife back home. So really, really loving that book that will be linked in the show notes. And I'm watching, finally, The Last of Us. I didn't think that I would be able to tolerate it because I struggle with kind of scary things and super intense shows and movies, but I decided to take the leap and we just finished, I'm not going to give any spoilers, of course, but just finished episode three and I knew that episode three was going to be a super emotional one just from what I'd heard one of the best episodes of television I've ever, ever seen. So if you've not watched The Last of Us, highly recommend. And I am loving my Peloton workouts. So I know I shared a while back that I was working out with Sydney Cummings on YouTube. And I just have to allow myself to kind of ebb and flow and go in these phases where a few months ago when I started doing Sydney's workouts again, I was like, I want to do the training thing. And, and just like feeling that pull toward that kind of athleticism. And I had to really be honest with myself recently and be like, I still want movement to be a part of my daily life, but I just, I it wasn't feeling good to me to do it in that way that was just feeling a little more intense and rigid than what I wanted. And so being back with my Peloton workouts and just having that flexibility of, you know, today it was a 20-minute yoga class and a 30-minute walk plus run, and and yesterday it was a 20-minute ride and yoga. And so it's just that a fluidity to do what feels good, and I was needing that right now. So, all right, let me tell you more about or tell you about our guest today, which is Dana Yao, who I am currently working with as her client. She is a money mindset coach. And I've worked on money stuff over the years, like I've done a lot of personal work on it. I've brought it a little bit into therapy and coaching, but this is the first time that I've worked with a coach and like really deep dived into it. And it's been an amazing experience. I'm working with her in her Money Mindset Elevation program. 
and just the level of honesty, transparency, self-forgiveness, accountability, all of it has been so healing. So you're going to get to hear more about what that program is and just generally what it means to work on your money mindset and also change your money behaviors and patterns. So Dana Yao is a money mindset coach who helps spiritual female entrepreneurs melt away blocks, reprogram their subconscious mind for abundance and reach their next level income. You can find her online at DanaYao.com, that's Y-A-O, and on Instagram at soar.with.dana. And I highly recommend checking her out. Enjoy this conversation with Dana Yao. Dana, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited for this conversation. Yeah, me too. And thank you so much for having me here. Yes, it is like such an honor to, to have a guest on who I am currently working with. And I know that a lot of the things that we've explored together and will continue exploring are pretty universal. And so it'll be helpful, I think, for me to make myself a little bit vulnerable and share with listeners some of the challenges that I've been through with money and money mindset and how we've started working through those together so that people can really get a sense of like, what does it look like to actually work on money issues? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I'd love to start by asking you, and you know that I'm a big fan of the personal finance guru, Ramit Sethi, who has the book, I Will Teach You to Be Rich, podcast of the same name, and now a Netflix series called How to Be Rich. And Ramit talks a lot about really defining for ourselves, what does it mean? What is what is my rich life? look like? What does it mean to me to have a rich life? And it's different for every person. So I would love to know for you, Dana Yao, what does a rich life look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that society usually, you know, associates rich, the word rich with money or the amount of money you have. The more money you have, the richer you are. But then in my opinion, rich life doesn't really have to be just really focusing on how much money you have. Rather, it's really about your relationship with money and understanding what exactly you want. And then once you really understand your relationship with money, and then you know what you want. Maybe that's having a job. Maybe not. Maybe that's having your own business, doing exactly what you feel so passionate about. And then it's really about feeling the emotional fulfillment, doing the thing you love. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And so for you in your life, like, and I know we're going to get into your backstory. You've not always been in the place where you are now of having a high earning job and a really, you know, great income, but you're also in a spot where you could ride that, that train that like corporate America, you know, keep climbing the ladder. And that would be sort of financial success to some people. But what I'm hearing from you is like, and and I'm sure the stability and all of that still, of course, is important part of your rich life, but that it may be more important for you to do something meaningful than to maximize your income. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, climbing the corp ladder means different things to people, right? Maybe if someone defines success or rich life as, well, I just want the stability, the financial resources from my job, getting paid every other week, you know, that type of life, maybe that means success to somebody. Mm-hmm. But then also, I think it's not, ooh, what's the word for this? It's not either or, 
you can yeah. have, you know, your job, but also doing something you really love and making great income from that. So you don't have really, you don't really have to choose either one. Oh, do I want to have a job or do I want to have a business? What if you get to do both? Right, exactly. And you could do both in terms of like having a steady, quote unquote, full-time job and doing something your own on the side. Or for some people, they like the stability thing. I think people can, it's tricky. I want to, I started to say people get caught up on it, but I think for good reason, because we also live in this culture where, you know, everyone's talking about starting a side hustle and, you know, doing Mm -hmm. MLMs and all these things that maybe don't always have our best interest in mind of having stability and and setting ourselves up well for the future. And so for some people, if they genuinely, like for them, stability is a higher priority than say, you know, creativity or whatever, or entrepreneurship, then they might prefer to at least have some kind of steady income coming in. So yeah, it's just going to really vary from person to person. Yeah. And also there's the, the saying of, well, just if you feel something you are so passionate about just drop your job, you know, quit your corp job or do whatever right. just to chase that dream. And that's something I personally do not agree with because, you know, because when you are in the path of chasing your dream, you really want to have that internal anchor. Maybe that internal anchor is impacted by having a stable or steady income resource, right? Like, so you don't feel the desperation of, well, I have no idea I have to make this thing work. Otherwise, there's something bad's going to happen to it because I don't have enough money for doing it. So I really don't oppose having a full-time job while doing something you really love. And you don't really have to just quit that one thing just and be fully on board with something you feel like you're so passionate about either because you want to make sure you are energetically in a good spot to really chase something you really feel passionate about. Yeah, and I'm so glad to hear that because there are a lot of what I would call potentially toxic messages out there in sort of the entrepreneurship, personal development space to the contrary, where it's like, burn the boats, you know, yeah, yourself to succeed in this. And it's like, gosh, that's, that sounds so stressful because maybe, and, and privilege comes into this conversation all over the place when we're talking about money, because maybe if somebody has like a safety net of parents or family members who they know they can call on when things get tight, then sure, they might feel like they can burn the boats. But for most people, that's not a wise, viable option. Yeah. And it, it is not because, you know, we never know if somebody has a rich grandma, grandpa or family members, you never know. And for those people, maybe it makes sense for them to drop everything to chase something they want because they can, you know, they are available for that type of things. But for most of people, again, like you said, while we are making money from a job or some type of, you know, steady employer employee relationship, right? And then if without that, we really don't have, we really can pay our bill, we can pay for rent, we can buy our houses, whatever, without the, you know, the safety here. And there's going to be a lot of psychological insecurity and uncertainty while you are chasing your dream. And that's mm-hmm. something we want to really take into consideration. Yeah. So you are a great example of someone out here chasing your dream. You're stepping into what feels like your most aligned passion and purpose of supporting women like me and others with healing our relationship with money and 
you're doing that while you're you're grounded, you do have that steady income coming in. And as I alluded to earlier, that has not always been the position you've been in. You started in a you know, kind of bottom of the totem pole place. So, and and that was even like once you were already here in the States. So I would love to hear a little bit about your your background, kind of your upbringing and what things looked like for you financially before you got to the comfortable position that you're in now. Oh yeah, for sure. That it's been a long journey. It's been a wild one too, because my family, you know, is a pretty traditional Asian household where there's a lot of financial, you know, values around money, around how we need to spend, save money, that kind of stuff. Right. So my family is really frugal and Stretching that dollar is something we always, or they were always so proud of because it's really about how can you buy the maximum, maximum amount of things with that minimum amount of money. And that's something we were like talking and being so proud of until later on, I moved over here what, in 10 years ago, 10 years ago, I moved over to the States where then I got semi-adopted by my parents now and they live in Ohio. And they're amazing people. And that's when I real when I really realized that people did have different relationships with money and how you know rich life, how financial success also looked very different. And a big moment for me was, you know, just seeing my now adopted mom, the way she was spending money. That was mind-blowing for me. If you want to, you know, story later on, I can definitely tell you one. But just understanding there are different ways of looking at money and how you really you know, view money, the way you view money was also very different for, from both families. And that was really mind blowing for me. And then back then, you know, now that fast forward, five years ago, I was also making 725, like the minimum wage, like a minimum, minimum wage ever yeah. in the United States, you can ever possibly find anywhere. I was Currently. making 725. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's still the reality, right? Like now yeah. the minimum wage is 725 in a lot of states which, you know, I don't agree with, but that's what I was making 725. And it was really, really hard. And back then, also, my hubby was also working, you know, part time here and there. And there's a little bit dual income, dual income coming in. But then it's still very hard to buy the food we really want. And there's a lot of arguments around money, because when we didn't have enough, you know, we just argued on so many random things we didn't have to argue on. You know, for example, oh, I want to buy nicer groceries, but then he didn't want to because we don't even, we literally didn't have enough money in the bank account to buy nicer groceries. And you just imagine a life where a lot of unnecessary arguments just happen because of money. And then there's the subconscious association, association with money that you interpret money as well, because I don't have that. That's why my life is not doing well. And you are kind of putting this negative connotation to money that money is not good. Money is causing something bad, right? So there's a lot of things like that. And then I realized, well, maybe I didn't see enough possibility in myself either. And that's kind of where I started to really work on money mindset and also like realizing there's a lot of generational blocks. There were so many random things I needed to clear up. And I started to do a lot of work, you know, deep, conscious, unconscious, conscious, reprogramming, all that stuff. I did it all. So then, you know, once the subconscious mind realized that possibility, financial abundance and financial, you know, security, that was all possible for me too. And I started to take action. 
right? And I started to really understand, well, what's my relationship with money? And what are the ways not only can I be a better person, but also making more money doing something I really love and found like finding jobs that's really aligning to what I see myself doing. And a lot of that, I think, you know, right now, obviously, my full time job is great. I love it. You know, design is something I really love. And I feel so passionate about and that's going really well. And of course, now coaching is doing good. So it's, it's really about understanding my relationship with money and then doing so much work to really remove and melt away all those money blocks for me to now be in this position where I feel like I'm so happy rich life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that there's just a lot of variables that can impact how our current financial situation is like it is like what family are you born into and what country are you born into and like so there's all these things that we sort of the starting place but then from there like very much acknowledging those realities and going like okay I'm not those are variables that have affected me and those aren't the only variables that are going to define my future possibilities or relationship with money. And and I think that that finding, like you were talking earlier about that sort of internal anchor, finding that is so key when the reality is there are all the, many of these variables are out of our control, like like the, the situations that we're born into or inflation or interest rates or getting laid off, like all those things. So, so our income may go up and down and up and down. So coming into a family or starting from a family that was very frugal and there just, there was stress around money and there was not enough money to go around to then it sounds like the family that you came into in the U.S., was more had more affluent had more resources you saw them spending in ways that were like what you you can do this and then going to making seven dollars an hour and even if that is dual income like that times two is still not really a livable wage in modern america in most places and then now to earning six figures so that up down up down up down it's we have to develop steadiness within because otherwise, like you're saying, like it's either like, oh, if this thing is not going well with my money, then I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. How are we ever supposed to get ourselves into, you know, better position or onto the right path if we are just sort of letting ourselves be yanked around by these variables we can't control? Yeah, that's so big too, because a lot of times, like you said, well, the family, you can't really be like, well, do I choose to be born in this family or that family? You don't get to choose that stuff, right? Like, there are so many things we just cannot have control over. And when things happen, we don't want to just like label ourselves like victims because of these uncontrollable things happen to me. Therefore, I don't have enough money or therefore I'm not in a good financial position because all the things happened and I don't want to fix it because I cannot control it. It's not like that. We don't want to really put ourselves in those positions where we feel like, well, it doesn't really matter anymore because we literally don't have control over. It's really about understanding, again, our relationship with money and finances and what are the things we can do. Because, you know, for example, generational blocks, well, everybody is different on that spectrum, right? It's not just, well, I have generational blocks or what? It's really just saying, well, I acknowledge that I have generational money blocks and I do want to have financial abundance. And I want to see that possibility for myself. And therefore, 
I am doing a little extra work on this to really letting myself, you know, seeing the light and allowing myself for abundance. And as far as if anyone's listening and going like, what does she mean by generational money blocks? Can you kind of define that a little bit for us? Oh, yeah, I did a live on this. And yeah, generational blocks are beliefs or patterns that are running in the family or in a lineage where there's, you know, environmental and biological influences on this. For example, now scientific research has shown that trauma, generational trauma, or just regular trauma can leave a mark on your genes, which can be passed down to future generations. And then, for example, if somebody, you know, your parents or grandparents or whoever in your lineage, they had some type of trauma around money. And then biologically, there's a mark that could be passed down to you. And now you have that, right? Again, that's something we cannot say, well, I don't want to take it out. No, you cannot. It's not controllable. And there's also the environmental factor where as a child, we were like sponges absorbing everything that's thrown to us, right? And as little children, we just saw our parents interacting with money in a certain way. Maybe they argued because of money. Maybe they told themselves, we well, we cannot afford this because of, we don't, because of money. And just imagine, or maybe you did have that moment when we were kids, maybe your parent, you're in your favorite toy store and you wanted this Barbie or you wanted this whatever, maybe it doesn't have to be Barbie or any toy, right? And you want it so bad. And you're like, mom or dad, can I have it? I really want it. I, I can play with my friends. I can do whatever. And you want it so bad. And your parents said, we don't have money for that. You know, if we spend $50 on this toy, that means we don't have money for grocery for two weeks. Yeah. And from a child, those things you were told and they did have and they will still do have this influence on your subconscious level where you feel like there's scarcity because there's never going to be enough money for you to do X, Y, Z. And then because you don't have enough money, therefore you cannot do something else. So there's a lot of this like thinking pattern mindset from your parents, both biological and also environmental that has profound impacts on your life right now. Maybe now as adults, we are earning way more money, but then the thinking patterns and the way you interact with money still going to be the same without, you know, you really realizing it's always there. Yeah, absolutely. And I also want to, to make the point that like, we're not saying that, like say in that example of, you know, no, honey, we can't get this $50 toy because we won't have money for groceries. Like that's not a wrong thing to say. That's not a bad thing for that to be the reality or to even express that in the right way. Mm -hmm. Like kids are sponges. And so they're going to pick up on financial stress. They're going to pick up on stress of any kind. So it's, it's pointless to try to lie to them. However, parents need to be really skillful and really intentional about how they communicate to them. Like, obviously, if there's like true scarcity, like hopefully that family is utilizing resources and has support and, you know, and there can just be an understanding of, gosh, you know what, hun, I, I wish you could have the shoes too. I really do. And in the future, we're going to get those shoes right now. We just, we can't get them, you know, and I can get mm-hmm. you these other shoes. And that's just the reality because, you know, I think back to myself as a kid and, oh my gosh, I mean, this is, it's human, it's natural developmentally and and in the culture that we live in where we're you know, just like advertising is is around us all the time. So I was the little kid who's like in the store, like, oh, I want 
want it. I want the American girl doll, you know, like <laughs> yes. I just like wanted everything. And so I cringe, like looking back and being like, oh my God, what a spoiled little brat. And I think overall, my parents handled it pretty well. Like I knew that money was limited, but I didn't. And and we were pretty squarely middle, middle class growing up. So it wasn't like I was going without, but I couldn't, of course, get like every Barbie I wanted or every American girl or all the clothes that I wanted. And I didn't have like fancy name brand clothes until I started buying them in high school when I was making my own money. But still it's like, gosh, the, the, I wish there had been actually more conversation around it because I think as soon as I had disposable income, I was just like, oh, now I can buy all these things that I've not been able to have. And so, you know, it's kind of damned if you do damned, if you don't, I think sometimes with money, cause it's like the kids who could just afford everything, and we're given everything, they have different money issues. Oh, yes. <laughs> and the kids who couldn't afford everything, like I've had to work through all of that, like, oh, well, to belong, I need this brand of jeans. And, and you know, I have worked through that a lot and come through the other side of it. But, but that stuff is so powerful, especially when we think of sort of signaling social status and wanting to belong. Yeah, that's such a good point. And again, like, money relationship money mindset applies to everyone and it just comes into different shades and textures and flavors because for people who never had enough money or parents told them well we couldn't afford this couldn't afford that they are different from people who always had money who always had xyz right because but then for those people who were you know more affluent and who did have everything and they will feel some other type of way of money and they're gonna feel different they're gonna have another type of money issue where they feel like, well, like, how can I feel? I don't know. It just, I was going to say, it just, it's a very different set of problems. It's not really about the money you are making or money you're not making. It's about understanding your relationship with money. It's that's all it is. I'm interrupting the pod very briefly for a quick message about how to work with me. If you enjoy this podcast, then we would probably be a great fit working together. I would love to support you, whether you are a leader, a business owner, or just someone who wants to crush some of your goals over the next few months. Let's talk. I have several programs and would love to tell you more about them and learn what you are wanting to work toward. You can shoot me a DM, an email, find me online at badbitchtherapist.co. All right, let's get back to the episode. And I would say the the only caveat with that being like, I think of Maslow's hierarchy, which, you know, briefly for folks who aren't familiar with that concept, it's just essentially the fact that if you picture a pyramid on the bottom of that pyramid, like we've got to have our, our physical needs met. We've yes. got to have like our food and shelter and our four walls around us, our safety. And then we can work on, you know, our belonging needs. And then we can work on all these higher levels of like self-actualizing. And so- I think that, gosh, I'm trying to remember the research that's out there that talks about like money, because there's there's the old trope of money doesn't buy happiness. Money can't buy happiness, right? <laughs> to an extent, right? Yeah. And and sometimes we get into the opposite where we think, oh my God, my life would be so much better if I made more money. And so it's really like, well, no, that's not true for most people. If you're making over a certain threshold where you're not stressed about meeting those basic needs, right? 
And yeah. so I think in the US it's something like maybe like a hundred thousand for a household or or some, maybe maybe it's less than that, but it's hard to keep up with inflation and everything. But yeah, it's like below a certain point, and it's probably lower than that, maybe 60 something. But yeah, but so if you're below that, then yes, you're going to have less happiness because you have stress about being able to meet your needs and pay for your kids' clothes and all of that. But above that point, above that threshold, which is actually lower than I think most people would think, more money does not mean more happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also a lot of people, they say, well, I just want money. Money is all I want. And I really want to challenge people here to ask yourself, do you really want money or you want something after you have a certain amount of money? Is it a lifestyle you want or is something you want to do? Maybe traveling, maybe buying a house or a car. So what is that one thing you feel like right now money can fix? Maybe that means happiness to you, but then you will know that. Money is not all you want because you want something else after you have a certain amount of money. We're looking for a state, right? Yeah. Some kind of state. And a lot of times people might describe that as like, I just want to feel peaceful or at ease, or I want to feel free. I want to feel light. And so we might think, well, money could do that for me in this way, in this way, in this way. And I could buy a vacation and like, all that is true. And it might provide those things. Mm-hmm. However, you don't have to wait until you have more money a lot of times to get into that state in a different way if if you get creative about it. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So I wonder because like you kind of alluded to having done a lot of the work with yourself around mindset and trying to kind of heal those generational blocks. And I, I know when we talked before, one of the examples of that that I want to just throw out, this is like totally not where I was going. This is how my brain works. I start on one train and I'm like, oh no, this train over here. Okay. Um, but I do want to mention while while it's fresh. So this is an example of a money block because again, we're not saying like, oh, working through your money blocks just means spending on whatever you want to spend because life is so abundant and just trust that money will flow. It's not that, but it is recognizing like, am I living in the present reality or am I living on some outdated patterning? right? Some some conditioning that I have inherited. So you gave the example of that it's it's hard for you to buy cherries at the store, right? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God, they're like $5 a pound. And I was like, oh, my God, me too with raspberries. Um, <laughs> and and the, the kind of funny part about that is we're both in a financial position now where we can afford those things. So the the sort of fear or resistance that shows up around that, that's the old conditioning. That's not the present day like you know, actually, this is not a wise choice. It's this is conditioning, right? So I think that's a good example of like, that's that's based in a money block there. Yeah, um, for sure. And now, especially as adults, now we are earning way more money than before. But then yeah. there are still going to be moments we feel like, well, we just cannot afford it because it's too expensive, like $5 per pound cherry expensive. Yeah, comparing to other fruits, right? But then like $5 something like in general, we won't feel that way because there are so many things we're conditioned to that we feel like, well, we just cannot spend X, Y, Z amount of money on certain things. It's about understanding the value. And there's so many mind blocks for you to, or for me back then when, when I was working on the cherry stuff, that is really funny. And then I was also going to add that there's also this new method I'm trying to use on my clients, which is asking yourself in those moments, how old are you? Mm-hmm. How old are you? Because then 
now maybe like now you know as my internet right now when i buy cherry i'm like oh yeah i'm 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 old enough now and cherries feel like affordable but then my mind my mindset money mindset it's probably stuck when i was 10 or when i was like eight where my parents at the grocery shop they told me cherries are expensive we do not buy them right it's that mindset so now i challenge everybody here to ask yourself how old are you in terms of mindset when you experience those fear when you experience those challenges when you feel like you just cannot afford something how yeah. old are you actually right yeah how old do you feel in this moment and and i think that actually works for both scenarios because i'm thinking about like sure i'll have the moment where i'm looking at the menu and being like i could never order the 15 dollars sandwich if there's a 12 dollars option right like that's i'm in my 10 year old mind where all we do is what's on the value menu however that same thing applies if i'm like oh this this like amazing sales page for this coaching program it sounds so good i want it and and it's one thing if it's a program that i can afford truly and it feels really aligned because i've absolutely had that experience of making a purchase feeling very much in my adult self and being like oh my god i'm so excited for this right usually it's not coming from a place of urgency mm-hmm. it's because when we're when we're really grounded it's not that kind of like urgent feeling But I've also had the experience of being like, I really need this. Oh my God, I need this. Even though it is way more than what I can realistically afford if we're considering like my goals of saving and retirement and all of that. And so if that feeling comes up when I'm looking at something that I really can't afford in a grounded adult way, I feel like that 15-year-old who wants the Abercrombie jeans and doesn't care how much they cost, right? I want them. (laughs) (laughs) so i'm not in that adult place yeah so now that's it's very interesting now like because people are in a better financial position but then it doesn't mean you don't have money mindset blocks anymore we will always have them because money mindset journey is an infinite journey where at each level you get challenged by the universe and to check on you well are you ready for the next level or no because then you will see a lot of things surfacing up and now is really the time for us to understand how old are we actually mm-hmm. in terms of money mindset and how can we, you know, do more work around that to really free up the space for more things to flow in. Yes. And I think all of what we're talking about points to something that I find to be true with food and money and sex and like so many of the things that we engage with in day-to-day life that working on our our sort of quote-unquote money issues changing our relationship with money, the work is about money and it's not about the money. It's about all the deeper stuff. It's about what it means. It's about what it means about us. It's about the stories that we have about all of it. And with that said, in addition to doing all the mindset, all of the work with the subconscious and unconscious mind that, that you do in your coaching with NLP and EFT and like all of that really important mindset stuff, we do still have to work with the money itself. We've got to face the facts of what's happening. So I yeah. know that you're you're someone who's really big about getting people into action. So I would love to just hear a little bit about like, okay, so like say we're working on un- undoing some of these money blocks, deconditioning things, really fixing our mindset, living, seeing an abundance. But then how do we actually take that and apply that to our actual current money situation yeah there are so many things we can do as of today and that's why i also have my freebie well sell 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 data 
So that, that's yeah, why I have, my, yeah. I have my freebie, small, very practical things you can do today to really oh. elevate your mindset as of now, how you can actually look at money a different way. For example, for example, if you are driving on the highway, right? And then you pass a really fancy house. Maybe for someone right now, they're like, well, obviously they're rich and somehow they're just rich and I don't know how they get to be rich, but then the house is gorgeous. But then I feel so jealous because I don't get to have that. Right. That could be one way of looking at that. Or there's a lot of reframing techniques I used to in my coaching. Or we can look at that in a different way of what's possible for them. Maybe that's also what's possible for me. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and that takes me back to the idea of a rich life because I can see and appreciate like a beautiful home or, a, you know, a home in a neighborhood that I'm like, if I had all the money in the world, I would love to live in this neighborhood. Absolutely. Sign me up. However, for me and my current financial situation, I feel extremely grateful to have a low mortgage payment. I drive a little bit further, but I get to have my rich life by getting to spend on other things that are meaningful for me and spending half as much on my mortgage payment, right? So it's like always that that would be a reframe for me because I used to have that thought like, oh, I want to live in East Nashville. And now I'm like, I am actually so grateful to live where I do because it gives me the flexibility to do all these things that if I were spending twice as much every month on my mortgage, I wouldn't get to do. Exactly. It's really about the emotions you feel when you interact with money or, you know, with things that could be bought by money, right? It's not really about, well, tomorrow I want 10K flowing to my bank account. Therefore, it's going to happen because I want it really bad and I got to do something. I mean, you probably could do something to get that 10K tomorrow. Hmm. But it's really about how can you feel in a way that you feel so grateful, you feel so good about your relationship with money and you are actually putting yourself in this higher frequency of attracting money into your life. Even though it doesn't happen, 10K doesn't happen tomorrow, but how can you still ground yourself in a way that's filled with gratitude and love and all that good stuff? Yeah, cool. So one of the things that I used to say about myself and that I hear people say a lot is, well, I'm just bad with money. So I would love to hear what you have to say, how you might reframe that idea. Oh, first of all, that's bullshit. I just have to say that upfront. Like, yep. I'm just bad with money, and that is BS to me. Because I'm bad with money, that implies a lot of things already. Maybe there, there were things bad happened to you, bad events and experiences around money that happened to you, and then you decided, or whoever decides that they're bad with money, it's a pure decision. Think about that. It's a decision that. They think they're bad at money because of some experience, some kind of events, and they drew the conclusion and to decide that I'm bad with money. But they didn't have to decide that way. Maybe they could look for different evidence to support I'm good at I'm good with money. I'm so good. I'm so masterful. I'm so good. What if that could be something to decide on? Right. So <clears throat> like in my case, I would have said, well, I, I'm bad with money because look, I have all this evidence of like, look at all this credit card debt that I, in the, you know, my twenties that I racked up and, and look at these poor choices that I've made. Like, so the evidence is clear. I am bad with money. However, mm -hmm. what I realized in doing my own work around it 
is like you're saying that at some point that becomes a decision that I am making as this is the identity I'm choosing. I'm choosing to identify as someone who's bad with money. Therefore, I'm going to behave. I'm going to continue to behave as someone who's not making wise financial choices. So my reframe has been historically, I haven't always made the wisest money decisions, but I'm learning and growing more every day. And now I make usually pretty good financial decisions, but, and we all make mistakes. It's not about like, oh, I made a mistake with money. Therefore I'm bad with money. And if I lean into that narrative, then of course, I'm just going to sort of let myself off the hook with like, well, yeah, I made another financial, like shitty financial choice. I'm bad with money. It makes sense. So when we put ourselves in that box of that narrative, then we're just saying like, give me more of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's all self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If you think or if you decide that you're bad with money, and then you are going to behave in a way that's actually going to be bad with money. And therefore, things and events in reality, it's going to happen that way because you were interacting with money as if you were bad with money. Go Okay. Okay. While we're getting spicy, yeah, I would love to know <laughs> there's so much in this topic that I'm sure you're super passionate about. What is something that you could just like go off on? Oh, I can talk about this for hours. I mean, we talked about this already. Like, I don't really believe in the saying that, well, just drop everything, quit your job and go chase your dream, do something you're passionate about. Well, that I could go off for like hours. <laughs> there is another thing here, however, I want to talk about, which is, you know, there's all this is there's also the saying of if it's not a hell yes, it's a fucking hell no. And I'm not really sure about that because for a lot of people here, you know, if you feel like, well, the house is obviously like, for example, one million dollars. If that's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Okay. But then what if you really have to rent some places right now for you to actually be able to physically live in, to actually be able to make the amount of money later on to afford that one mill house? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for me, there's a lot of situations where I feel like if it's an okay yes, you know, if I feel like it's okay right now, and also feel like, well, if that's eventually going to lead to the $1 million house, or maybe that's eventually going to lead to your biggest goal or biggest dreams or whatever, if it, even if it's an okay yes, still do it. Mm-hmm. Still do it. Right, right. It's, it's not, not settling. Yet. It's just being in your present because this is what is right now. And we don't need to resist what is. We can lean into what is and know that there's a lot of possibility for the future. However, if I screw myself by being house poor now and overspending on what I could actually afford, then I'm not going to get to keep that million dollar house very long because I'm going to end up foreclosed on it, right? <laughs> exactly. And same thing applies to, you know, again, chasing your dream, right? If it's not a hell yes, like, oh, coaching is a hell yes, but, you know, full time is a hell no. Maybe right now you really have to have a job before you can really, you know, pay and dedicate a lot of resources for your coaching to take off because you do need the financial resources right now. Even it's not a hell yes. You maybe you just need something right now for you to not to be in the energy of desperation. That's a big one for me, I think. I love it. And I just had this like light bulb moment because earlier when I said that, you know, the way that we do money is a is such a a window into how we do life and similarly mm-hmm. food works that way sex works that way i think this is so true as a sex therapist th- people learning to embody this when it comes to sex 
it might sound really weird at first. Like, well, why would I just want to be, because we don't want to feel like we're doing something and it's obligatory by no means. This is not about coercion, but this is where like, it can be so game changing for couples when I help them recognize just because you're not like a both like a bright green, like, yeah, I'm like, so in the mood for this, let's do it. If one of you is a yellow, that's fine. If both of you are yellow, if it's okay, okay, yeah, sure. Because a lot of times, especially with the way that desire works, it's we're not starting from that like super let's do this kind of way, like hell yes way. But if we're starting from okay, most of the time what people experience is they end up having a good time. They're glad they did it. And if we're only waiting for the hell yes, most people are probably, especially in long-term relationships, just never having sex. So (laughs) I encourage people to embrace the, okay, sure. Embrace the yellow, know the difference between a yellow and a red, because everyone knows, every person that I've asked, it's like, I know when it's a red, communicate that, never bypass that, but really start to embrace that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times and people will be so grateful for the yellow stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yes. As they have to say, because then later on they realize, well, I do actually get to say hell yes to the thing now because I've done all the okay yeses things. Yeah. Yeah. That was all the the necessary stepping stones to get me to this point where I can enthusiastically sort of step into this thing that's now possible. Amazing. So, oh my gosh, I could just go on for hours and hours, but this has already been so powerful. I would love for you to tell people, and this will be in the show notes too, but where to find you online and tell us about your money mindset elevation program, which I'll also be sharing in the intro a little bit about my experience with. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So you can find me online on danayao.com or on Instagram, swear with Dana with periods in the middle. So that's two ways of finding me online. And my money elevation program is so great. And it's a money mindset program. It's a one-on-one 10-week program for spiritual female entrepreneurs, just like you all, for you to melt away all the money blocks you have and reprogram your subconscious mind for abundance and also to really reach your next level income because of all these good stuff. So if you are, you know, open to the opportunity, I'd love to chat more about available resources and help and support you can get to have and really do the work. Yeah. Yeah. Super excited. And and one of the things that I would say just that has been so valuable about working with you so far is that I know that I can be truly honest with you because so often we hide the things that we feel ashamed about, the mistakes that we've made, whatever. And so a lot of times we even start to hide it from ourselves. And so Mm -hmm. to have someone where it can be like an unconditional safe space to share the truth of everything and to be held in that non-judgment and walk through the self-forgiveness process and realize that like that it's possible to, to be able to forgive that and to know that you want something different, right? It's not just like, oh, you're fine. Don't worry about it. No big deal. And like, just keep doing what you're doing. No, like you're going to hold people's feet to the fire, but you're also going to do so with a lot of love. Yeah. And I'm the person who's going to provide you a lot of space for self-exploration, discovery, all that stuff. But then if you feel like you need a lot of accountability, And I'm going to be the one who's not going to be afraid of chasing you down for the things you say you're going to do. And I'm all about that. 
So yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much, Dana. This has been amazing. And I encourage everyone to follow you and check out what you're up to. Yeah. Thank you so much, Belle. And it's so great to be on your podcast. And thank you again for having me here. Hell yeah, friend. You made it to the end. I so appreciate you tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode, make my day by subscribing and leaving a five-star review to help other people find this podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to grab my free video training on how to get shit done toward your high priority goals without getting distracted or stuck by ADHD or squirrel brain. Just head to badbitchtherapist.co slash three tips. That's .co slash the number three tips. You can follow my antics on TikTok at badbitchtherapist and on Instagram at the same, but with dots between the words. Thanks so much for being here. Now go out there and have a great fucking day.